Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Price Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New game day shirt. Boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W. But you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction, eligibility, and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member. FDIC. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. Coleman's after this one and gets their first and scores! Everton lead! Everton believe! A strike that releases the pressure a little! From the Men in Blazers studios in the crap part of Bedford, New York, and the crap part of Long Island. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. We're back by Mac McClung. And how are you doing, <laughs> Dave? Not as good as Mac McClung. Oh, I love him. I'm wondering if Burley's going to sign him for 100 million to Chelsea. I could actually see that happening. Could be our new manager. I think the 76 has asked for 100 million and then Burley counted with 200 million. But, yeah. Oh, can we just say happy President's oh, Day, Dave? I love President's Day, Rog. Yep, the national holiday Sunil Galati thinks was named for him. <laughs> oh, Dave, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing good. Uh, needed this day off, I can uh, tell you, even though we're podcasting right now, but I needed a day. Uh, it's been quite a few weeks uh, at work. I'm, as you see in the background, my orange tree is there well, actually sorry as you can see in the background my lemon tree i keep on calling it an orange tree i'm sorry i uh, misgendered you um but yeah i'm good <laughs> oh, mate i am buoyant we are taking a day off at men and blazers we are only taping three podcasts on this monday in honor of president's day um but i have to say we are super buoyed at the moment it's been a wild time post world cup we have had so many, well, first of all, so many new listeners who have found their way to Men in Blazers through the World Cup. I'm sorry to them. I want to apologize for your discovery. Um, but also, partially linked to that, we've had so many incredible ravens to our mailbag, meninblazers at gmail.com. Um, hearing your stories, your feelings, the emotional connections that you experience watching football, riding beside us each week. Beautiful, rich stories. And I'm actually, I'm actually trying to pick a, a letter or two a week because um, I do try and respond to all of them uh, that come into our email mailbag. It's not the easiest task. It is a wee hours uh, insomniac Rog task. But I'm trying to pick a couple a week to send an MIB patch to. And I was really struck this week, Davo, by a missive from Kevin O'Neill. Yeah, this is so beautiful. Greetings 
from Baltimore City, Kevin writes, I'm a Washington Spirit supporter. I wanted to share two heartfelt thank yous. First, thank you for enabling my own version of fluid American EPL fandom by being the <laughs> theatre and cast that bring me the Premier League scriptwriters' glorious work each week. Wonderful work. Second, thank you for making me think of my late father every time I listen to your pod. My dad was a fan of sports. He loved American football and the University of Kentucky Wildcats first and foremost. Plus, whomever was playing Tennessee. He was a bald, <laughs> also a professor of philosophy, an ethicist, a feminist, a pacifist, and deeply a serious goofball. He always had the radio turned to sports talk radio. For him, sports were about collective memory and reliving moments of excellence. And hearing your fellow fans call in was part of that. My dad died over 20 years ago, but I miss him every single day. There are so many things I would have wanted to share with him. Your pod is one of them. When I listen to Men in Blazers, I feel like I'm listening to talk radio as my dad would have wanted it. The collective memory, the joy and suffering with your team, but with ethical perspective and curiosity instead of chauvinism. I feel like I'm sitting with him, debating whether one can be a Newcastle United fan in an age of piffs or an American football fan in an age of TBIs. I know we would marvel together with you and GFOPs all over in the explosion of the women's game and its many remarkable, intelligent and courageous stars and celebrate the growth of soccer fandom of all sorts in America. Thank you for bringing him back to me for a little while each week. God, David, that is... I just thought we were churning out crap, David. That is some pretty lofty. That is some pretty beautiful. Those are beautiful words. And I'll say, Kev, your dad seems like an incredible human being. I'm so sorry that we never met him in Charm City. Could have raised a glass, David. But I do love that notion of listening to our crap and having someone, a loved one, feel alive again. It's incredible, mate. Yeah. Uh, I was just thinking that my dad um, would have loathed our podcast. He was actually alive for many years of it and never listened. <laughs> what is your dad? I've never asked you about that. What does Judge Ivor think about the podcast? He, uh, he, my dad is confused that he can't find it on the radio. <laughs> He's like, I tried to turn to the dial to everything. I went even on shortwave. On yes, even on AM. <laughs> and you're not to be found. He's constantly surprised, my dad, when someone travels to America and... Uh, watches our show, finds our show, is in a bar and sees our show. He's like, I can't find it on my radio. <laughs> uh, I just say, Kev, God bless. To balds, to memories, to reveling in it all. And Davo does a lot of all this week. Wow. So keep yeah. sending us your emails, meninblazers at gmail.com. And um, let's dive on in. Yeah, the scriptwriters were on one this last part, this past <laughs> weekend. Okay, before we get to uh, the football and their insane work, a massive week at Men in Blazers World Headquarters upcoming, beginning tomorrow with European Nights presented by Paramount Plus with your mate, Rory Smith. This week, you're talking Napoli, my new team, Rog. I'm here for it. Cannot wait for that. And then at 5 p.m., Eastern time tomorrow, a very special Tuesday. Do it live! Coming right off Liverpool's Champions League tilt with Real Madrid. What a game that will be. Come, Come and ask on, your questions. Carlo. GFOPs, <laughs> the link for AMP will be all over our social media. Just click on that to listen or tell your Alexa, hey Alexa, play Men in Blazers while we're live and it will play the broadcast. That's magic, man. Rog, would you get us underway? With a twist. Oh, sorry, Dave. I started early you on did. this one. I, like half a <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> but I do want to raise my third first bud of the day to the memory of the late Ghanaian international, Christian Atsu. Oh. 31 years of age, just 31 years of age. The former Newcastle, Everton, 
Chelsea attacker who, mm. in awful news, um, was found to have perished amongst the thousands who have lost their lives in the devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Atsu was there playing uh, in Turkey for Hati Aspor and was, by all accounts, a remarkable human being. He'd set up a charity for abandoned, orphaned and trafficked children. He donated thousands of dollars to help destitute prisoners in Ghana. He paid for life-saving operations without wanting any publicity at all. He was that gentleman, a remarkable, noble human being who really, even as a footballer, which can often be, you talk to footballers as a a selfish profession, was always thinking of others. And it was incredibly moving this weekend, seeing his widow, Marie-Claire Rupio, bring their three children to Newcastle for the game. They experienced just an outpouring of emotion from Newcastle fans, from their players um, too, which shed just how much um, this gentleman had been beloved in his lifetime to his spirit, his values, his memory, Christian Atsu. As we always say, in the words of Philip Larkin, we should be careful of each other. We should be kind while there is still time. Oh, absolutely. So tragic, uh, Rog. Uh, for Christian Atsu, that just entire earthquake zone, Rog, it was just awful. Um, okay, to the football. Aston Villa 2, league leaders Arsenal 4. Mikel Arteta's Arsenal travel to the Midlands and come from behind, not once, but twice in an absolute thriller. It was the home side under the avuncular gaze of visiting celebrity fan Tom Hanks that went out ahead in the fifth minute. By the way, already the writing in this one, brilliant. Putting Tom Hanks there. We need to pump up the cast. Can we get what, an A-list What a piece of work. The line. Writing a little guest starring role for Tom Hanks right there at the beginning. This was Arsenal Villa starring Tom <laughs> Hanks. That's himself. It was, it was so good. Uh, and it was uh, it was the home team that went out ahead in the fifth minute when Ollie Watkins thumped home for his fourth goal in as many games. But Bakayo Saka, of course he did. He hit back. Coutinho then put Villa back ahead. But Zinni pulled Arsenal level again on 61 minutes with an outside-the-box near-post blast screaming F you at the Villa players. And with the game in the balance, with Arsenal staring down the possibility of four straight games without a win, former Chelsea man Jorginho made an attempt from outside the box, which I've never seen him do before, and then thundered one off the bar, which rebounded and came off the back of hand statue prop comic Emmy Martinez's head and into the Aston Villa goal, just like he drew it up. Gabriel Martinelli added a fourth into an empty Villa net after Martinez was caught upfield on a corner. Arsenal go two points clear atop the Premier League table. Every incident in this game, Emmy worthy, Rog. Brilliant stuff. Aston Villa Arsenal, starring Hanks, directed by Spielberg, screenwriting Tony Kushner. That can only be the underpinning of what we witnessed. Arsenal entering this game in the midst of what seemed like the sound and sight of a bubble bursting. Mikel Arteta's hair helmet. Oh, had watched his boys drop more points in the last two weeks than they had done in that surging, joyous first six months of the campaign. Was this the moment when the Arsenal engine was stalling out and the mask had come down on the plane? Could Arteta keep a cool head? Could he land the thing and keep a sense of title challenge real? Well, we all got up early Saturday morning to find out 
Arteta against Unai Emery, the man who realised at Arsenal it's hard to be the man who follows the man. Arsenal, Partey still out, yet to train again. He's going to be out for at least another week. Jorginho stepping in. And the energizer Trossard starting in place had arrested Martinelli for the first time for an Arsenal who had not won since January 22nd. That were the stakes coming in. And even more of a challenge, as you say, Hanks was there, Debo. <laughs> Hanks, Gump, pick Villa as his team of the 80s, legend has it. You know, we know Prince William is a Villa fan. On this day, we were reminded that Villa are also the team of American royalty. Mm. And I've got to say, I admire Hank so much, Davo. Forget Save It, Private Ryan, Green Mile, League of Their Own. Was this Hank's greatest and most demanding piece of method acting, being a proper Villa fan? Is this his role of a lifetime? He did it remarkably well. I mean, the amazing thing about Tom Hanks in all of his movies is he pretty much is just Tom Hanks in all of his movies. And in, in very similar fashion, he was just Tom Hanks at the game. It wasn't some sort of blown-up character. This wasn't his... Uh, this this wasn't what this didn't stretch him that far, but effortlessly he just made it work. He looks good. He looks just, lean. He would. looks he looks like he's he's whatever he's on. I would like a piece. <laughs> he looks absolutely stunning. It is funny because at this stage of his career, Hanks is choosing the most noble people in the world and wrapping their brand into Hanks. I actually thought because he went into the locker room of Aston Villa before the game, which was astonishing. I actually think in his mind he was playing a great legendary Premier League manager. I think this was Hanks, in his mind, playing Sean Dyche. And inside five minutes, whatever it was, it paid off. Cash plucked the ball away from Zinni, fed Ollie Watkins quickly, and you could tell as soon as he got the ball, he had murder on his mind. Saliba accompanied him, but he made space, screamed, Tom Hanks, I am the captain now! As he lashed across Ramsdale, Matt Turner would have saved that. Four in four for Ollie Watkins, Davo. You've got to ask yourself the question, tactically, if Tom Hanks came to every Villa game, would Villa be champions, Davo? Well, I mean, that's a that's a question for the Premier League writers, Rog. I don't know that you can write Hanks every week. He's a he's an A-list movie star. You can only put him in every now and then. Um, I was almost I thought you were going to ask the other question, is if is Ollie Watkins... Question? Well, no, but I, it's like Ollie Watkins... When he looks this good, I can't believe he's not scoring 25 goals in the Premier League. This was like Saliba is so fast. What Ollie Watkins did to Saliba at this point almost sat him on his ass. He just he just went outside him and outstretched foot from Saliba. A fantastic finish with his left foot. Brilliant, brilliant goal. Oh, it was run for his run level pace that Ollie Watkins unfurled. And Arsenal's response, it has to be said was impressive. They knew Mings would have a mistake in him, and it came early and often. It was Mings' clearance header, often innocuous cross, more of a flick on, if we're being honest. The ball dropped a beautiful Bukayo Saka, simply leant back, acted as the punisher, leaving the co-coms to marvel. I love this. Once again, Arsenal show their characteristics. I just love their characteristics. They did indeed start to show their characteristics, started to dominate possession, but then went and leaked to Villa's very next attack. Essentially, Arsenal looking like a very expensive Leeds on this day. A <laughs> fluid Villa move from goalkeeper to goal within seconds. Moreno down the left, slapped across a dangerous ball. Threat level amplified by Buendia's dummy. And Coutinho thrashed home. 
Oh, some synchronised football. And Philippe, one goal in 32 games. Of course, he has to unleash against the Arsenal. Villa, two shots on goal, two goals. Dreamland and Arsenal GFOP. JL Scott captured the mood in the moment when he tweeted, deep down, all us Arsenal fans are getting nervous about that Champions League spot, if we're being honest, in this second. It felt dark right, Davey. You know, Villa sticking to that game plan boss in the middle. They battered Saka. By the way, Saka has become a player where the referees seem to let anything happen to him. That's treatment that's normally afforded to like a wrestling heel like Luis Suarez. But that kid takes such a battering without any protection at all. The other point that Arsenal fans, you know, particularly those travelling to the games and seeing all the home games would tell you is that Bukayo Saka looks exhausted. You know, he plays every single minute. He had the World Cup. He has just got the weight of the world on his very young uh, shoulders. Not the only member of that squad. I think that, you know, a bunch of those Arsenal players look gassed. And these goals that they're conceding, whether against Man City or, the, the, the you know, against Everton, it's... Yes, it was only two shots on goal from Aston Villa, but it's the nature of these goals. They're getting cut open in key moments. And I think, you know, I know that this ended really nicely for them, but I think it's this little, little soft underbelly which is getting some Arsenal fans concerned. Yeah, Villa suddenly happy to sit deep, wind Arsenal up, just trying to throw them off their composed game. And we should say, you're right about the tiredness. So many Arsenal players, Zinni, Ben White, Saliba, not what they are currently in our imagination. Arsenal trying to come back and it felt, it felt that the narrative was going to be Emi Martinez, a man who spent a decade at Arsenal as an understudy. I think he played just around 40 games in that Mm. time was attempting to assert himself. You know, he taught this week how he wants to be the best goalkeeper in the world. And he was relishing this game, flying at set pieces over all comers, claiming the ball, almost looking like an Aussie rules player uh, making a mark. And Arsenal looked shattered. Yeah, They really did of leg, <laughs> tired of mind. Really, I thought, God, did he to bring Giroud on? He would have been an uptick, not just in looks, but also. Yeah, for his youth and energy. Yes. Uh, you and know, Emi Martinez, speed. though, he already is number one in the world in goalkeeping shithousery. Time wasting. Yeah. He is yeah. elite level. I'm not oh sure I've God. ever seen anybody better. Um, so he's good. The book. Rewritten yeah. the book. I mean, just uh, he he has the ability to to waste time, which is an art. You need the the referee to not really notice, but he does it while smiling and grinning the whole time. <laughs> he both does it. The referee doesn't notice, and the whole time he's like got a he points an arrow over his head, going, "Look at me! Look what I'm doing! I am wasting the time that is so precious in life. None of you will have this time back. We are all slow dying." And and Ketia grazed the bar with a header. By the way, talking about dudes who were shattered. Whole thing started to fail. Like it was shaping up to be Hank's finest coaching job since he led the Rockford Peaches against the Racine Bells. But oh. then, off a set piece, the ball fell to Zinchenko. And the gent who had just been miscalibrating all game just lashed it like uh, uh, like some kind of cocaine bear, but Ukrainian. First Premier League goal in 92 games. No emotion in the moment, but by the time he got back to the halfway line, just screamed, you know, belted it out, all of his teammates. Let's get the hell out of here. Let's effing do this and get the win. And also, it should be said, had their chances. Erdegaard and Mark left foot scuffed it wide. Uh, Ramsdale, wrists of steel to, I think it was Leon Bailey, a thrashing mm. shot uh, that was goal-bound. At this point, I suddenly felt 
so dark for Arsenal fans. I felt like you've had that joy. You have dreamt. But my God, football is like life. Happiness is fleeting, always fragile. Darkness can descend at any moment. Michael, At that second, Michael Cohen, my Arsenal supporting mate, texted me to say, oh, we are looking so good. We are looking so good. This game as 95-minute Aston Villa winner written wow. all over it. And he was oh so close to prophecy because in the 93rd minute, Davo... I still don't quite understand how the scriptwriters conceived of this. Almost too much drama. You know, six minutes extra time, it should be said, because a certain Aston Villa goalkeeper had spent so much time time wasting. Jorginho, ex-Chelsea, thrashed the ball. What happened from then on, Davo? Emmy Martinez, 10 years a gunner. Explain. Well, you sort of have to set up... What The, the brilliant thing about the writing, Rog, is you have to set up... Jorginho for his entire career in you know his his youth career and in Brazil and then his his career at Napoli his career at Chelsea you've got to set him up to be a player who never shoots really really rarely shoots never shoots from outside the box because what made it so remarkable is that the Jorginho just made this attempt on this day in this game at the point that he's been transferred to Arsenal that was the first remarkable thing in injury time yeah, I mean, by the way, he always looks like a player in those moments where he's actually smoking a cigarette when a ball comes to him. He has to quickly flick, flick it aside and be like, what? What do you want me to do with this? I mean, the only thing that would have made this better, but perhaps this would have been a step too far for the writers, is if he did taken a hoppity skippity jump before he had hit this long range shot in the style of his penalties. <laughs> that would have been amazing. A, a long range hoppity skippity jumper off Emmy Martinez's head, rebound off the bar into the goal. But That's what happened. An, an ex-Chelsea player, until recently a Chelsea player, banging a goal off the crossbar onto the head of an ex-Arsenal goalkeeper. <laughs> genius. By the way, a goal no doubt cheered across France, the nation of... You know, definitely an agony for Aston Villa because over 90 minutes they had they had been Tom Hanks and at the very, very last they'd been very, very, very Chet Hanks. Mm -hmm. But is this definitive proof that karma exists? Well, uh, it's a theological question. Well, within this one game, yes. Within this moment, within this sliding arrow slit of time, I think perhaps. But, you know, karma has a long memory, Rog. It goes, uh, it goes forward. There are going to be... Uh, there are going to be other games, games where Tom Hanks is not present, yep. um, where Emmy Martinez won't be playing against his former team, where Jorginho won't be playing. Um, it just is is just too much. I think it's a, a a lot, but wow, what an ending and what a moment and comedy gold. We should just say, even if there was no nothing situational, it were not extra time. Emmy Martinez hadn't have played at Arsenal. He hadn't have done that thing with the World Cup trophy. It was still just in itself, in its own moment, it was comedy gold. It was comedy gold. And by the way, Eddie Nketiah, I know you're listening. Watch that goal. That is how you finish your header, just mechanically. <laughs> look at look at Emmy Martinez. That is yeah. how you head the ball. Yeah. You know, Kai Havertz, you might have a look at that as well. Yeah, I mean, that was just textbook finishing. And I just, there's so much narrative. It's really, it's not a tactical or a footballing um, moment that we watch. I do believe that we saw theology in that second. I believe, by the way, if a hand had come down from the skies 
um, with a like a godly finger and just tip the ball into that. That would have been less surprising, and I think less seismic. That was the first draft. That was the first yeah, draft. That would have been less. That would have been that would have been less seismic than what we did witness theologically. It was a religious moment. It was mm, a religious providential. Moment. It, was it was providential. I love it. Uh, Arteta post game try to erase. Um, the the theology from the situation by just saying <laughs> Jorginho produced an incredible moment for us. It will always be Jorginho's goal. No, well that no, is no, true. No, to no, be fair, no. he did he did he just started the production of it, but really it was Emmy Martinez who made it happen. By the way, I I realised in that moment there was no such thing as free will. It is all preordained. I've become very religious <laughs> this weekend. Thank you. No, but not for your. It's not it's not the computer or the program. This is, I do believe, I've, do, I've become a God-fearing human being uh, this weekend <laughs> because of this moment. I think that's the only logical response to what You're saying it's not a simulation, yeah. but God exists yes. and, and it, it is all written. I believe in it all. I believe in it all at this point, David. <laughs> after watching that, Arsenal added a fourth Martinelli NHL-type empty netter, which the Arsenal players began to celebrate, as did Martinelli before he'd even shot the ball over yeah. the line. They'd survived a storm. Thanks to God, your notion of God, dear listener, whatever it is, project it here because it definitely exists. And they're left with heads held high. Second time Villa had scored first at home, conceded four. First time in the Premier League, Unai Emery had failed to damage an Arsenal title challenge. At William Wright's in, GFOP tweeted us, mere milliseconds in the separation of human experience from, well, top four is going to be a good experience for my Arsenal this year too. I need plane tickets for the open top bus parade. I'm so happy for all you Gunners. Massive win for your football club. And Arsenal who have tenacity and Arsenal who fight. And we know that in football, how you respond to adversity is your everything. And on this day, Arsenal lived out the entirety of Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, with Tom Hanks watching. And poor Hanks, as he knows well, there's no crying in football, right, Davo? Just no crying. In 15 games uh, to go for Arsenal Football Club chasing this Premier League title, it is going to be an adventure. I can't wait. The gods are with you! <laughs> <laughs> Price Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including so many of my favorites California, Texas, and Georgia. Godspeed, Georgia. I'm hungry for a dozen lemon pepper wet. But back to Price Picks. We've been hearing from so many WGFOPs who are loving Double P, Pablo Picasso, Price Picks, which allows them to win up to 25 times their money for the soccer season, is a reason I do appreciate Price Picks because it's simple. During the Premier League match days, I've got roughly 239 tabs on my computer open as we attempt to work out our social media, the pod rundown, the upcoming interview, you get the drift. But because Price Picks is easy to play, I'm not having to constantly click to see how my gents are doing or how many certain actions are worth. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats and you place your entry. That is how easy it can be. You also mix and match players from several leagues across the globe. Luca De La Torre, I'm looking at you, as well as other sports like basketball oh, and hockey. Oh, the Capitals. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. It's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more or pick less. It's that easy.
It's Roger to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long time staple in the Bennett refrigerator, Stoke cold brew coffee always bold always smooth yes that is the very same stoke as in the mighty wrexham fortress known as the stoke kairas or the stoke Racecourse, wrexham afc's home they support it they support football which is just one great reason to love this coffee it is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar essentially the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, seven for everybody, from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee and be sure to follow Rexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. Nottingham Forest 1, Manchester City 1. I have no idea how this happened. An arborologist's dream goal as Chris Wood scores for Forest in the 84th minute to snatch a point on the banks of the River Trent. City had gone ahead via a Bernardo blast and had countless chances to put the game away, but they just couldn't convert. Even Erling Haaland looked mortal, Roger. But in the end, City slipped two points behind Arsenal. Arsenal have a game in hand. Steve Cooper's Forest, meanwhile, are unbeaten in eight at home. They're up to 13th in the table. City, we kind of rewind the vibe going into this one after smiting Arsenal midweek. City felt like they were surging. Unstoppable. Mm. You know, I read an article this week about invisible asteroids that could strike Earth at any minute, caps in the headline. Why did you read that? Unfathomable damage. When did I read it? No, Why? Why did I read it? Yeah, be- I that's do not like good to for you. When the end of days happens, I like to be prepared. <laughs> how do you prepare for that? What? Look, for how for the you- invisible asteroid. I'm just looking for invisible <laughs> asteroids. I spend a lot of time looking out there. Never, never stop watching, guarding the universe against those invisible asteroids. I'm Don't looking worry, at you listen. now. Look at you looking yep. for them. You're one so eye. good at looking one for eye. them. One eye. One eye out there. One eye out there. Don't worry, dear listeners. I got you. He says, when it comes to invisible asteroids, I will I will be the Brad Guzan that protects you against all invisible asteroids. Have no fear. But City, honestly, going to this one felt more threatening, more menacing, more unstoppable, even than those aforementioned invisible asteroids, Dave out and Forrest. Remember, the reverse fixture, Forrest had been obliterated 6-0, Haaland hat-trick within 16 minutes. This felt like it was going to be an absolute... Just a obliteration part two. And the atmosphere going into it, though, in Nottingham, needs to be acknowledged, was magnificent, magical. Forest fans have turned the city ground into a stealth fortress. I think I've been at home since September. And they've been waiting for days like this for 23 long years of exile. And they did not waste a minute opening from the top by remembering their legendary team who'd won the Champions League predecessor, the European Cup twice, 1979-1980, glorious days. And they threw them in the face of the City fans. (laughs) Champions of Europe, you'll never sing that, which credit the Man City fans. Yeah, Oh, top of their game. Came back with Champions of Europe. You weren't even born. And my Lord, Forest fans, in a moment of... Just freestyling football chants, chanted back, champions of Europe, you won't be alive. David, that is some deep cut chanting, blending history, wit and a keen sense of of the football judicial system. 
Yeah, and a keen sense of the invisible asteroids that are going to be uh, blazing down upon northern England, which will take out Manchester City, I'm sure. Oh, God. And the forest bat line. By the way, dear listeners, I bet you've not stopped thinking about the invisible asteroids since the first <laughs> mention. I'm so sorry. They're so annoying. Once you've heard about them, you What's can't the point? Stop We're not thinking. even going to make it to the end of the season. Anyway, here we go. Let's keep what on going. To- <laughs> what a great way to go, though, if you think about it, to be hit by an invisible asteroid. If you've got to take your pick of ways to go, would invisible asteroid being essentially smited by one would that not be the best way if you're an astrologist listening please write to us and explain to you why it's actually so much more of a fiery hell than i imagine must be pretty good way to go though now i imagine it would be quite fast but maybe not maybe the dinosaurs went out slowly when they uh when that asteroid although was that invisible i don't think that was an invisible asteroid one minute you're just walking along wondering if you know cody and tarkovsky can stay fit for the rest and then you just boom gone just hit. <laughs> Thinking, yeah, I don't think my life could get any better. Than what is it, it they say if a tree falls in a forest? Like, that's the problem is that no one will ever know what happened. No one will ever know that Arsenal were top of the table. To the football. Who will ever know? <laughs> It'll be forgotten. That'll be amazing. Five minutes left in the season. Arteta's Arsenal about to end several decades. And then the invisible asteroids will just hit everybody. And Michael Cohen will be like, it can only happen to Arsenal. Yeah, please, yeah, please, please spare Peter Drury so that he can poetically commentate on the invisible asteroids. Will he know what just happened or will it just look like everything just... Oh, you know Drury's going to be prepared for that. Yeah. I'm sure he's got it written. Descending (laughs) as if visible yet invisible. Never defeated. The invisible... uh, By the way, I'm interviewing him on Thursday with Uh your questions. Ask him about this. I'm going to ask him about the invisible. (laughs) (laughs) Question one. The question everyone in football is talking about. Are you prepared for an invisible (laughs) asteroid? On the final day of the season. And he'll just pull out a little card that he's carried with him to games for the first 30 years. Always had it. Never had to use it. Yep. Like Ready a for scout. everything. Be prepared. Um, God, that forest bat line was prepared. Played with some verve as their fans chanted. They played with the same kind of passion. Sat deep, disciplined. Rode with a big saving Kalor Navas. Just resisting everything. 84% possession for City in that first half, but held at arm's length, largely um, relegated to thrashing shots from long range, which is a fine strategy for Forrest until one goes in. And on the yeah. stroke of halftime from a corner, Greel swooped on the ball on the edge of the area, rolled it into a crevice for Bernardo, and he just smacked it so cleanly. David, through traffic, could have killed Navas he hit it so hard yeah he hit it really hard we don't get enough data on this we was that the hardest shot was that the highest velocity shot in the Premier League this season what was the highest velocity shot in the Premier League this season that actually went in um I thought he absolutely smacked it could have killed him first goal in 28 for Silva and you expected City ruthless City hungry City to just press on and finish that game off could have been should have been two or three nil best chance fell on 66 minutes Mm. two peps angel of vengeance Erling Haaland charged in on some Foden created slot close range but thrashed it off the goalkeeper and when Navas stranded they blasted the rebound high and wide glitch in the code David yeah, no, it was a it was a remarkable move. City had so many chances. They were so dominant in this game and just somehow, somehow managed to not score. 
Yes, uh, Navas sacrificed his politics to keep his team close. <laughs> City had three times as many passes, 23 shots until the 84th minute. Forest had an XG of 0.14, but they made their first and only shot and goal. They made it matter. Manchester City, they were appended by it. The narrative of our title race was appended by it. This game totally, totally transformed. The breakdown the right, the incredibly potent Morgan Gibbs-White. We don't talk enough about him. Rolled the ball to Chris Wood for post. Finished it from the six-yard box. His first for Forrest and became an instant Arsenal legend in the process. All of this down to Steve Cooper's plan, it should be said. He wanted to keep the game close. He wanted to seize the half chance he knew his team would have. He said it post-match. He said, you're playing an incredible team. For me, the best team in the world at domestic level. You have to sacrifice the ideals to try and get something out of the game. And that his team did that. It's huge credit to him. They were immense. Honestly, Steve Cooper has turned Forrest in the course of 23 games from a patsy marked for instant relegation into a clenched fist who are trademark hard to beat. But City, Davey, narrative now flips, right? In the blink of an eye from ruthless, hungry, circle of wagons, inevitable march to victory to, wow, they are inconsistent. They are mortal and it will drive Pep crazy that this was the third time this season his team have dropped points uh, to an opponent who managed just one effort on target. It's amazing. Steve Cooper knows exactly who his team are. He knows exactly who they are. He knows exactly what they aren't. He knows exactly how to deploy that. It's just, you know, in any sport, understanding your own percentages, understanding your own ability, the shots you can hit, the shots you can't hit is so important. Pep, how does he know what his team are? Like, he's got so many incredible pieces. They can be so dominant. Even during this game, they can just be so dominant at times and fail to score. How can his brain compute that? You know, not only ourselves, but every pundit in football just goes through these incredible, like, moves. Think, 24 games into Manchester City's season. We've changed our minds so many times about who they are and what they're like. How does Pep deal with it? Part of it is, like, he opens his cupboard in the morning and you see so many avant-garde pieces of clothing in there you know sweaters <laughs> with hoods on hoods with sweaters attached just Jeans cargo with various with washes. pockets in the row yeah. yeah i mean if he can work out just how the hell to get dressed in the morning yeah, that man impossible. i mean his flies are in just different places but he did say something <laughs> fascinating before this game that makes you think about booth questions what do you Dave mean though? his flies are in different no, places you know he, he doesn't just like the fly where his down below's are no why would you have it there when you can have it up your <laughs> Ass crack. I, I, haven't, I haven't noticed that. <laughs> I'll, look at, I'll have a closer look That's at that. That's how he picks his team. He said before this game, he said, you know, I'm gonna people are knocking me for making crazy tactical decisions, but he wakes up in the middle of the night and thinking of his pee. first team, and he says, Yeah, the poor guy can't work out where his fly are. <laughs> so we know what's gonna happen there. Four o'clock in the morning. Why is my fly over my left nipple? I don't even know anymore. But the, the thing is, he said, if, if 89% of my opponent managers can work out what my team is, I'm not going to go with that team. Oh. And that is, that is the, the in, in kind of, we used to talk about Arsenal um, a couple of seasons ago, just being like um, a gentleman who had had his penis severed in a terrible accident. I can't remember how or why. <laughs> And the newspaper proudly wrote that he'd had his, his penis attached to his arm. Um, and I don't know why I'm thinking about that now. 
Um, but I do believe that for teams who are an arm penis, that's when the fly goes on the sleeve. But the irony of the of not that story, but the, but the what you were saying before is that. Do you think Steve Cooper is worrying about who Pep Guardiola is going to select and put in his team? He's not because he knows that whichever eleven he puts out there are going to be unbelievable. That he's just going to have to defend like banshees for. 87 minutes and try and steal a half chance at the end. It's Pep may be overthinking this a little bit. I can't think of anything other than invisible asteroids and arm <laughs> penises now. I can't even remember what, where that came. Any listener who can remember about the arm penis. That's, a, that's a title for this vid on YouTube. So what an incredible game. Man City uh, now two points behind. Arsenal a game in hand. Uh, what an unbelievable finish we have to this Premier League season. And there may be, Roger, a third team in it. Everton. No, but Man United, <laughs> they beat Leicester 3-0. <laughs> a game that continued to demonstrate the impact a tactical visionary can have at a football club when installed as manager. And Eric Ten Hag is doing pretty well also. His United ride the hot hand of Marcus Rashford. Wow. Lord Rashford, who continues to treat the Premier League with the casual dominance normally reserved for the NBA skills contest. He scored twice in this one to bring his post-World Cup tally to 16 goals in 17 games. Jaden Sancho added a third beautiful goal and United continue flying. Five points behind Arsenal. Now just three points behind City. Off the field. United are afire with takeover talks and choose your own moral adventure decisions to be made. But on it, they are thriving. A humdinger of a game. Leicester slapped eight goals in the last two games, opened up a tired United who had played just 65 hours earlier in Barcelona and were vulnerable down the right side over and over and over. Harvey Barnes slipping through on David De Gea, who slopped his shot away derisively. And we're going to credit De Gea. I think this was his 180th clean sheet on the day, a club record or tying the club record of Schmeichel. And De Gea is so immense, so much focus over so many games. Hard to imagine what it must be like to be an elite goalkeeper for that long, kind of like living your life underwater with all that pressure. But Leicester created constant danger. Could have been 3 0 up. But my lord, United against a runner play. First shot and goal. It's all they needed to assert themselves. Vufas turned the ball over at the halfway line. And at this level, mistake like that can be punished by clinical teams. But the way United quickly worked the ball, David Bruno, that outside of the foot, that scoop into space, that was Picasso football. Yeah, super. I mean, he was outstanding throughout this entire. Uh, throughout this entire game and just performances all over the field. A a manager in, you know, so focused. I love Ten Hag on the sideline. He's just so focused on the game at hand and what's going on in each individual matchup. He's coaching the entire team. He's coaching zones. He's coaching individual players, just working so hard. What he has done to resuscitate Marcus Rashford, you just knew when it was him running in on goal, that unlike mere mortal strikers, he was not going to miss. Steadied himself, rifled clinically past Danny Ward, like Premier League Barry Pepper and David. This was this was so much more than just a 540-degree jam. Seven consecutive league games at Old Trafford he scored. He touched his temples and closed mm. his eyes in celebration. So serene. A gent who had bust through in his career, was heralded as a local wonder, but then crashed, was pilloried, is now soaring again. What must he be feeling? I did wonder. 
You know, I have wondered, what can I do in my own life like Marcus Rashford scores goals? And the only thing I could think of was drink beers. But he is both proof that good things happen to great people. But what he's doing, what we're witnessing right now, it's real sustained sporting greatness. It's a movie script. A young man who joined Manchester United at the age of seven, Rog, at the age of seven years old, he joined that team. And everything he's been through since he's been there, both um, from a footballing perspective, from a non-footballing perspective, and to watch him have his moment right now, this post-World Cup, you know, form, vein of form that he's in, playing like, honestly, one of the best players in the world right now. It is just so wonderful to watch. He did it again because Leicester continued to have almost all the chances, but the second he was sprung uh, beyond the Leicester offside trap, killed the game off. I think it was Fred that played him in, 24 goals on this season. Marcus is chasing Haaland, like, almost it's like watching the tortoise and the large, cocky Nordic hair. Bruno quickly set Sancho up for a sumptuous third. Incredible to see Jaden also now returning it to his confidence of old. And Old Trafford resounding with pride. And wonder again, vintage, vintage United. One last great moment. Vardy came on. United fans reminded him exactly what snitches get. United fans started a chant at Vardy the second he ran on. Your wife's a snitch. Your wife's a snitch. And chanted Rooney, Rooney, Rooney. To which Leicester fans, fair game. Uh, chanted back, fat granny shagger, you're just a fat granny shagger. <laughs> I listened to that, Dave, and I was like, oh, from the same island that brought the world Shakespeare and Chaucer. Yeah. Football bands. Yeah. Well, Chaucer probably would have written fat uh, granny shagger, but it's probably in the <laughs> Miller's Tale at some point. Um, uh, Heady yeah. days for United, though. Yeah, it's amazing to watch the way in... Not just heady days, but they're starting to play a version of football that is reminiscent of some of the great, expansive, just sublime football uh, played under Sir Alex Ferguson, Rog. This is the football that Man United fans dream of going to see at the Theatre of Dreams. It really is Barcelona coming this week and, and Bar Veghorst, that United swaggers back and and we've we've hoped that it, we could say this before. There were there were moments under Ole, the PSG win. Um, Mourinho had a flickering couple of moments, but what Ten Hag has done is so different. The exorcism of Ronaldo, the squad build, his idea of football, um, a sense of the drama is now not at the forefront, but it's kept professionally behind closed doors. And the Theatre of Dreams, Manchester United, is starting. it's been so long, honestly, since we could say this, that Manchester United are bloody, bloody good at football. And the Premier League is all the better for it. United don't play again in the league until March the 5th. Uh, at Anfield, that game, huge stakes there. They can about next weekend. Um, really, the significance of that, that game against Newcastle elevated because it could be a real milestone um, a real platform for winning for Ten Hag's project. That message of the first piece of silverware will send three points behind City, five behind Arsenal. It's a three-way title race. There is no doubt, but we need to talk quickly about United off the field. Following the Glazers' announcement last November that they were enlisting Rain Group, uh, the US bank that oversaw the Chelsea sale, 
to, quote, seek strategic alternatives for the running of United. Friday was a soft deadline for initial offers. There were at least two bids from rival groups, British chemicals billionaire Jim Ratcliffe, the founder of global multinational INEOS, and Sheikh Yassim bin Hamad Al Thani, the chairman of the Qatar Islamic Bank. They both announced their interest to become sole owners. The latter said to be offering around $5 billion an auction is expected to ensue. There's also the option hedge fund Elliott Management. Till recently, owners of AC Milan are willing to give the Glazers the financial support they need to retain control and modernise Old Trafford in the process. Huge furor, it should be said, um, across England about the possibility of Qatar, you know, PSG owning Qatar, owning the crown jewel Manchester United. United fans seem to be torn between the morals of it all. And let's get the money in and buy Mbappe. Um, and there's no doubt that pretending a single Qatari's got enough money to buy United <laughs> and that it's not a state-sponsored uh, move um, is, is a ridiculous way to be. But the Premier You're League... You're saying David, Mr Q doesn't have enough money to buy uh, Man United. <laughs> Mr. Q, Mr. Q coming in hot. How do you analyse it? Because if they do allow United to be owned by a, essentially what is, let's be honest, it is a state, a nation state uh, power move. This would essentially be a white flag waved in the face of sports washing, right? Yes, but um, the Premier League has already, you know, broken every rule. You know, it's so far um, down the road of, you know, allowing you know, private equity firms to own Premier League teams, which, you know, the NFL wouldn't allow a private equity firm to own a Premier League team, allowing, you know, nation states to, um, and dodgy nation states of that, allowing them to buy. So they're already down the road. How do they now turn to Man United and say, no, you can't do it too? I said, football is just like, there's no turning back. I don't know where it goes. For me, there are all kinds of complexities. There's a human rights dimension. There's a conflict of interest with PSG. And there's the fact that three of the Premier League's biggest clubs would either be owned or deeply, deeply influenced by the three states that were involved in the Gulf blockade, which kind of makes the Premier League, which you think of as massive, just a tiny extension and a new battleground for a geopolitical it's regional a pawn. battle. It's a pawn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that would all be happening while the Premier League is is in the midst of charging its First Nation state owner with 115 breaches and at the same time welcoming another in the same city. There seems to be no checks, no balances, just greed, really reckless greed. You know, The thing that pains me is taking fandom, multi-generational fandom, and just assuming that the golden goose is football will never stop laying it's golden eggs. Bonnie Renee in The Guardian. I'm going to give the last word to him. He wrote, this is how football works. This is how deregulated industries work. This is how energy dependence on Qatar works. To say that regulation would stop this from happening when the government are pretty much just as culpable with the relationship with these same nation states. But I take the point. Okay. Newcastle nil, Liverpool to a performance reminiscent of the quadruple hunters of yore, but with two new names on the score sheet. Goals from Darwin Nunez, oh, wonderful take and finish, and Cody Gakpo highlight a really impressive Liverpool performance. Back-to-back -back wins, has them up to eighth place and has started to send whispers of a top four run around the Liverpool faithful. Liverpool's last gas come from behind win against Newcastle and Anfield back in August. That 
going into this was Newcastle's only defeat in the league this season. Liverpool also coincidentally the away last team to win at St. James's Park back last April and they swaggered up north after their Merseyside derby romp but they also knew Newcastle would be a much sterner test than Everton Football Club. Virgil van Dijk welcome back big Virg from that hamstring injury that was a boost. Newcastle Guimaraesless but still audacious buoyed by the fervent faithful Baying them on. They charged into this one, ripping Liverpool apart on both flanks. Miguel Almiron should have put them in the lead on four minutes. In on goal, acres of space, but Alisson charged out to smother. That turned out to be pure misdirection. Two quick Liverpool goals and a Newcastle red card within 22 minutes turned the entire game on its head. The first Darwin Nunes straight down the middle between the vaunted Newcastle central defenders. He brought it down, lashed it home. Poor man's Andy Carroll indeed. Liverpool second, delicious. Full length of the field team goal. Salah just clipping that ball. No look into the path of a charging Gakpo. Signs, Davo, of that flickering chemistry between the front three starting to live and breathe. Mm, Love a charging Gakpo. It's my favourite kind of Gakpo. Yeah, no, it was an impressive... Uh, performance. We should say, by the way, I mean, I should have mentioned in the in the Man United game as well. You know, Leicester had some early chances that could have absolutely changed the game, but didn't. In this one too, um, you know, Newcastle had some chances in this one early. Fantastic save from Allison, which changed the course of the game. Um, but a uh, a Liverpool, just like United, they found a way to win. They played some of the sparkling football that we associate with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool Football Club. And, you know, I was, you know, bizarrely, I find myself in these strange rooting situations this season, like loving seeing Arsenal play well, loving seeing Man United back to their best. And actually, I've got to admit, enjoyed watching Liverpool uh, flow again. Yeah, and all the trademarks seem to be coming alive. Alisson tried to do his I will assist Mo Salah thing when he rushes after claiming the ball to just punt it long to the streaming curls of Mo Salah. A blow. He's got three assists in his Liverpool career, all three to a speedy Mo, including that delirious goal against Manchester City. Here, Nick Pope charged out to snuff Mm. the danger. But also, God, you can't really snuff out the danger while you're cacking your pants while you do so. He tried to head it. I still can't quite work out what happened. Did he try and head it and just missed? It fell on the ball and somehow decided, oh, I'm falling. I'm going to give the ball a little hug. Bless him. Yeah, I think that was the most accurate description of something which I myself struggled replay after replay to figure out exactly what happened. Thomas Suchek showed him what he should have done. I mean, that was the kind of goalkeeping... The oh, poor Pope needed in that moment, and it came at some incredible cost. He knew immediately as he handled it, almost started walking immediately that he got a red. Poor bloke, this is an agony. We'll now miss the Carabao Cup final oh. next weekend. Dubravka came in for him on this game, but the big lols in football at the moment is that Dubravka cannot play in the Carabao final as he's already played for Manchester United in the tournament earlier this season. So Newcastle, Davo, will have to play who? Loris Karius, that poor gent you will remember who enjoyed a nightmare night for Liverpool in the 2018 Champions League final, which he left broken in heart, broken in tears, not played a competitive game since February 2021. Fielding him, Davo, bold strategy, Cotton. 
I thought you were going to say Mike Ashley. Uh, so I think Loris Karius is actually a step up. So I think it's not bad for Newcastle. <laughs> Newcastle actually played better with 10 men. Liverpool fans fluttered a little bit. Their team didn't exactly kill the game off, but they held on. First time in 171 days, Newcastle lost a league game. Longest unbeaten run in the top flight over. Different creature without Guy Maresh. He's missed six games for the two and they've never won without him. And it's got to be said, Newcastle limping into the Carabao. No wins in their last four league games. Just three points in that run. And Spurs oh, taking out opportunities to slip ahead of them in the weekend. By the next time Newcastle play, Liverpool could be just three points behind them. And it's hard to believe because Newcastle have lost so few games this season, but they've drawn 11. Um, and that is what will bite you because you've got to... I, I was watching this wondering, what's happened, Dave? Newcastle almost have morphed back to pre-Saudi tune, but Liverpool, you know, snapping into tackles, just that front three starting to gel... You know, leaking uh, definitely uh, recently a clip of goals, but this was their first clean sheet away from home mm. since September. Six days ago, they were 12 points behind Newcastle. Now they're just six, seven points off the top four, two games in hand on Tottenham. Um, it feels, Dave, Liverpool out of nowhere have turned into their Mane era delirious pomp. Okay, Rog, invisible asteroid on the way in, and that's the end of it. Oh, no. Chelsea, nil. Southampton, one. <laughs> Dead last in the table. Southampton, who had appeared to have swiped right on Jesse Marsh earlier in the week, only to see plans to meet up fall through. They stomp into this one, managerless, and they defeat Chelsea Football Club, also seemingly managerless. The difference, though, here, an arrow from the descendants of an the arrow. same English longbowman who defeated the French at Agincourt, James Ward-Prowse. A pinpoint free kick. Chelsea, just woeful as their problems continue. The Saints, meanwhile, stay last in the table, but are now just three points from safety. Got managerless, listless Southampton. Then kept a clean sheet in seven games. They'd lost their last three matches. Almost felt like much needed respite. A patsy for a manager under just hysterical pressure. Graham Potter, team had outplayed Dortmund on the road in Champions League midweek, only to cede to a moment of breakaway. Adeyemi, brilliant. Beautiful goal. Emerge looking just, we win the stats, but nothing to show for it. Just an expensive Jesse Marsh team. Here, Thiago Silva and Reese James rested because, well, it's only it's only cellar dweller Southampton. And it turned out to be a day of, of true folly for Graham Potter. Enzo Fernandez couldn't do it all in the midfield on his own. Uh, Kovacic alongside and both overrun in the centre. Zhao Felix cut off from service. Chelsea almost seemed rocked by the impudence of Southampton's pressing game. Cesar Azpilicueta brought down Stuart Armstrong just outside the area on the stroke of halftime. And you just knew, you just knew in that moment, didn't you, what James Ward-Prowse was going to do. It's almost like akin to it. Did against Everton recently. It's like akin to a penalty. You know yeah. in that second. There's no stopping it. That's how great he is. Yeah, you don't give free kicks uh, to Southampton there. Uh, crazy, um, you know, dumb challenge. And um, there you go. Beautiful. You know, Kepper is good off the set piece. Very good goalkeeper. Very athletic. But, you know, he dove the full length of the goal. Prowse went in the, the side that he just wasn't defending. Beautiful. Dipped it so, so low. It amazing. It didn't even go into the top corner. It went into the bottom corner. He's able to dip it over a wall. Superb technique. Superb finish. Oh, the idea of Jesse Marsh being James Ward-Prowse's manager, that's what taught him how to do this. His 17th yeah. direct free kick. One away 
from the Beckham record. Um, and the half-time introduction of Raheem Sterling did give Chelsea some intent, some direct purpose. All hands on deck, Perro clearing off the line. Graham Potter emptied the bench at a million sitting on it. Wesley Fofana, Kai Havertz, Mudrick flung on. But the stuffing was just knocked out of the game in a sickening moment. Yeah. It was Mara thumped Dave in the face of an attempted bicycle kick. The noise it made on the broadcast oh, was awful. sickening. Dave has said in a, in a post that he's, he's, he thanked medical services and that his rehab now begins. That was a horrible moment. Yeah, it was awful. Uh, it was tough. A very, very long stoppage. Um, and, you know, all the fans were there for both teams, uh, to be fair. Um, holding their breath to make sure it was all okay. Thankfully, he has since messaged uh, that he's that he's that he's doing okay, and and uh, you know, thank all the gods, Rog. God, Southampton. We've got to give them credit. Free did their figure of ridicule. Nathan Jones. They played with spirit. They played with fire. Um, done the double over Chelsea for the first time in the Premier League era. Their fans ended the game by chanting the name of interim manager Ruben Sellers. Ruben, Ruben, Ruben. Just a ball of energy on the sideline. Young Spaniard, been a, an assistant in Greece, in Azerbaijan, in Denmark. Came, I think, originally as a Hassan Huttle mm. assistant. Said before the game, I'm going to dress like a manager because I am a manager in Southampton. They stay at the foot of the table, but they've got hope. They've got life, which feels like the opposite of your Graham Potter, Dave. Chelsea can't score, can't win. Graham Potter, he's almost got too many options. You know, the interesting thing for me, Rog, and, you know, you know how much messaging there is to the press by these elite teams, particularly when they're in time of struggle. Briefing. And right now you'll read almost every story, and it's Todd Burley and his co-owner, Beydad Egbali. Suddenly, it's not just Todd Burley. In the, in the takeovers of the club, you never even read the name of Beydad Egbali. At the moment that it was good that Burley was signing all these players, you never even read his name. Now, all of a sudden, it's all about Burley and Beydad Egbali and the board and the idea of the board are there putting their support behind Graham Potter, that Graham Potter, they believe that long-term, they believe he needs to go through a preseason. You know, look... Um, you know, uh, Mikel Arteta was given time at Arsenal and now we need to go and give the same time um, to uh, to the former Brighton manager. It is the remarkable thing, though, is that they fired Thomas Tuchel, who had won the Champions League. They were not in this huge rebuilding phase. They had they had an elite, elite manager who had taken them to the promised land of uh, of winning the Champions League you know, competing, you know, got into Europe year after year after year, into, not just into Europe, got into the Champions League year after year after year. And now they're sitting in 10th place, closer to the foot of the table than they are to the top, playing football, which, I mean, you say that they played with more purpose in the second half. I mean, I suppose they were better in the second half than they were in the first half. <laughs> but But chance creation, other than the one that, Sterling got cleared off the line. There's not a lot of chance creation. There aren't a lot of shots. There aren't a lot of attempts. There's not a lot of initiative. They run into so many blind alleys, all of their players, trying to make something happen. You can feel that the players feel weight. This contract situation of Mason Mount still out there, still affecting his play. You know, Reese James, the player that gives the player so the team so much identity and ammunition rested. It's just hard. It's a whole clubbing crisis. And it starts at the top. It starts at the very top. I actually feel sorry 
Um, I feel sorry for Graham Potter. I think he was bought into an almost impossible situation. He's making up fourteen and a half million dollars a year. So, well, I mean, I don't feel sorry for him from a financial point of view, but I feel I don't feel like he's the. I don't think he's doing a good job, but I don't. I look at him on the sideline, and I think he is desperate. He has an assembled team of superstars. Yeah, assembled team of superstars. They're not a team. They're like an international squad. Um, They certainly aren't listening. And uh, they certainly aren't playing decent football. And honestly, I'm, I'm just—I just don't know how Burley's going to double his revenues. He may buy Manchester United, and the Premier League may allow him to. I've thought, I've thought about, I've thought about how Burley is thinking about this, which is, which is really a, a chaotic and wonderful question to delve into. You know, the Tuchel thing. Uh, speaking to people inside and around the club, um, Tuchel just didn't respect Burley when he came in. That's why he had to go in that moment. Um, but you know, right now you have a team that have scored I think, four goals in ten games, all competitions since the start of the year. They've won two of their past fourteen. They were booed off at halftime. They were booed off louder at full time. It's really toxic. It's really toxic. There, it's like it's like Leeds fans and Jesse Marsh. It's like Everton fans and and Frank Lampard. That's where you've gotten a yeah. club are really adrift right now. It's like the, you've had the Augustus Loop transfer window. You know, Potter have said, some people think I'm the problem. I don't think they are right. and Because <laughs> yeah, he knows that Burley's the problem. I mean, everything you said, I mean, talk about briefing the press. Briefing the press that, you know, Tuchel didn't respect the chairman enough and they want the same kind of relationship that Pep has with the board at Manchester City. You know, that is a remarkable, remarkable thing. And the, the reason that they're putting their support behind Potter is they think that he respects them, that he yeah, is yeah. he's going to listen to them. Oh, my it's, word. It's, it's less that he's going to listen to them. It's more that he's so far below them. Uh, he's the assistant manager to the assistant manager. And i got to say, this Chelsea moment does not make Potter a bad manager. He's just the wrong man Agreed. for this context. He's trying to lead a madness, essentially. And God bless Todd Burley. Spent a billion dollars on Chelsea, almost building them in an image of what Elon Musk has done since wandering into Twitter with a kitchen sink in his hands. It makes no sense. Almost feels like, honestly, to me, it almost feels like Abramovich has some kind of buyback clause for when the Ukraine war is over and it's safe for him to reemerge. And all Todd thought about doing was just increasing the value of his club between purchase and resale. Um, But to lead in those conditions needs an Ancelotti or, or dare I say, a Tuchel. But outside of PSG, it's hard to think of a more unstable star stat locker room than Chelsea Football Club right now. And by the way, the only person I think in Todd Burley's mind who can lead it, and I bet you he's thinking about this, is Todd Burley, interim manager. Why not, on Todd, do it? I can't believe you're saying this. So one, uh, before I get to my point, I do have to, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to defend Elon Musk from that comparison. Um, because while I do agree that he's done an absolutely appalling job running Twitter and that he is in many ways uh, just the antithesis of everything I stand for, he's at least come into Twitter and cut costs. Whereas Burley has massively increased the overhead of Chelsea Football Club, which just you know has the potential of destroying the club. But the point I was going to make is that this morning, for some reason, I woke up and all I started thinking about, because I was trying to think about what would Burley do if he, you know, if Graham Potter loses a couple more games. And you're right, there is this incredible pressure on him. I'm going to be at Stamford Bridge um, for the next home game against Leeds oh, with my like son's first ever you're game. Hanks it. Hanks it. I'm going to Hanks it. Uh, believe me, I doubt the cameras will be cutting <laughs> to me. And I could imagine him bringing in a manager, but I started thinking he'll bring in Phil Jackson. 
that he'll be the guy who will actually do the real Ted Lasso thing and bring in somebody from US sports who has absolutely no, no idea about coaching a football team. That will be where he'll go. That'd be incredible. I would love to see that. Watch Phil Jackson walk in on that first day and just hand uh, Mudrick a copy of Aldous Huxley, The Doors of Perception. That. (laughs) that, It's genius. Do it, Todd. Do it. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware.com deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. New Year's is now in the rearview mirror. By now, some of the excitement about our New Year's resolutions may be dying down, much like my excitement for Chelsea Football Club as we get further and further into the season. If you're looking for performance apparel that can help give you the extra push you need to keep up with your health goals, Viore has you covered. Viore creates incredibly versatile and comfortable activewear designed to look great in everyday life in and out of the gym, or in my case, on or off the tennis court. Plus, Viore is 100% off setting their carbon footprint by offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond. They are utilizing better sustainable materials for their products, empowering your best active life. With Viore, you can feel good about the things you buy and also how they are made. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash MIB. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash MIB. Not only Will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns? Trust me, go to viore.com slash MIB and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Tottenham 2, West Ham 0 with Spurs technical area once again transformed to the non-smoking section after Antonio Conte was advised to continue resting after his gallbladder surgery. Get better soon, Antonio. Spurs rebound from last weekend, shellacking by Leicester to deliver victory here. A flowing team goal capped by Emerson Royale and another from the Kane to Sonny Connect. See Spurs leapfrog Newcastle into the top four. Spurs, the most baffling team in football. Can't keep up. I don't know what I'm watching. They're just unreliable narrators. They beat Manchester City one week, then crap the bed and are blown up by Leicester the next. Then they drown in Milan in Champions League action. Um, Here's the most befuddling narrative, the most unbelievable, unfathomable, unprovable narrative in the Premier League. We keep writing them off. They keep surging. We expect them to kick on. I hate that football phrase. They've got to kick on now. They wilt. Against a suddenly flailing West Ham in a London derby with enormous repercussions at both ends mm. of the old table. Antonio Conte apparently texting his assistant, Christian Stellini, because <laughs> he's in Italy, recuperating after gallbladder surgery. This was very much a Tottenham on week. Sad song. Oh, it sounds like an awful Elton John song. Dropped for the Richarlison 
just the second time this season that the Richarlison replaced him. And Spurs started slowly as West Ham played for a point, set to smother the game, very moisy, and it worked for the first half until Tottenham just up their intensity. Um, I wonder what, I'd love to know what Stellini did when he got that text from Antonio Conte saying, get the blue torch out for Oliver Skip uh, in the locker room at halftime, whether he just texted back saying, done it boss, or whether he actually did it. These are the things we need to know. But Conte's system is one that has always needed wingbacks. On this day, they surged. Davis, Romero, excellent. Hoiber, so solid in the middle. Break came from Davis. Freed down the flank to set up Royale. Clinical finish for which he bizarrely got a kick in the shins from his own teammate Romero as a reward. Sonny on, 66 minute, instant impact. Within five minutes, Kane did well to muscle off Ogbonna. Deliver his now signature telepathic mind meld mm. pass to Sonny. Control, finish like the son of old. Davo, Hung Min Son. 20 starts this season, one goal. Two substitute appearances, four goals. He ends up happiest right now. Almost he needs to experience true sadness on the bench, it seems like. Yeah, a player who plays uh, better at the point that uh, he's taken offence, at the point that, you know, at the point of opprobrium. That's where he does, um, that's, that's where he brings out his best football. God, we haven't used the word opprobrium on the podcast before. This is a very exciting <laughs> moment in many ladies' history. Invisible asteroids, opprobrium, like all these things, yeah. West Ham, God, dropping into the bottom three. I'm in danger! And they remain without the injured Lucas Paqueta, who, judging by the videos he unleashed after their loss, is quite happy playing video games at home anyway. Drawn a lot of games. They've won very few. Um, and this relegation battle is super curious because there's no evident weakling. Every team is picking up points, and Moyes' conservative approach <laughs> of leaving strikers isolated, holding on, leaving them vulnerable, um, and time, the Times reported this morning that the Moyes IR will be sacked if West Ham lose Saturday against Forest. I imagine wow. Leeds will hire David Moyes immediately, but they Spurs back forth. One more point than Newcastle, who've played a game less. We write Spurs off. They rebound. They play Chelsea next weekend. Oh, wow. And the weird storyline, Christian Stellini, interim manager, played three, won three. A lot of Spurs fans I know are just like, don't rush back, Antonio. Your health is <laughs> He's very... He's great over text. Yeah, very uh, uh, important. Yeah. Very important. Take your time resting up. Sure, they've just got AI chat texting back to Antonio, and it's not actually Stellini at all. This is a club of rumours. <laughs> An American, Yaum Nafaji, is said to have made his first bid to take over the club. Rumours abound in Conte. It's going to be given a graceful exit, graceful out. Oh, health is important. And deep, deep rumours, Dave, of a Pochettino return, Whoa. which would be a feel-good option on all sides. Okay, Brighton, nil, Fulham, one. Two Cinderella's wrestling over the glass slipper that is Europa League football. And it's the Cottagers who come out on top. A real smash and grab job on the south coast where Fulham seemed pinned in their own half for much of the game, only to snatch a glorious 88th minute winner from the left peg of Shakhtar Donetsk, Loni and Israeli international Manor Solomon. They are up into sixth place, just four points off the top four. Negev, Dagger, oh, six versus seventh. Clash of two cuddly overachievers. First loss in 2023 for Brighton and a day of challenge for the Deserby Love Tour. 
Brighton manager saw red at the final whistle, stormed on the field to remonstrate with match officials for the second week on the run, left seething with the quality of refereeing after his team had dominated the game but exited with nothing. Fulham, Mitrovicless needed a late, late 88-minute goal from Israeli international Manor Solomon. Two goals in two weeks for him. Tim Ream, hockey assist on that one. Oh, yeah. And God bless the Zerbi. He's just given Solomon, who played for him um, in his Shakhtar Donetsk days, an enormous hug when he came on. That'll teach him. Fulham somehow escape with the double over Brighton, leap over the Seagulls into sixth place. Brentford won. Crystal Palace won. Loki London Town scrap sees these sides split the spoils. It was the visitors from south of the river who took the lead on 69 minutes when Eberreche Eze crashed home. A lovely header, but in the 96th minute with Palace looking to be on their way to their first win of 2023, the Bees, Vitali Janelt answered with a Hamburg 5 head of his own to extend Brentford's unbeaten run to 11 league games. Yeah, yeah, now almost a last touch of the match, that undefeated run of 11, the Premier League's best active oh, stretch. 21 points gleaned in the process. It's incredible, including wins over Manchester City and Liverpool. Almost unfathomable. Got a week off now to rest because the Bees went to face United next weekend. And... I just admire watching Brentford so bloody much. We've seen so many teams come up and thrive initially and then burn off. You know, think of Sheffield United season two or even Leeds United season two. And that Brentford are level on points with seventh place Brighton and Liverpool. What Thomas Frank is doing there, nothing short of incredible for me, that gent. Stealth manager of the season. Wolves nil, Bournemouth won. The Cherries claw their way out of the relegation zone, Rog. Thanks to their first victory since manager Gary O'Neill was appointed permanent manager at the end of November. The difference in this one, a 49th minute goal off Marcus Tavernier's meaty Yorkshire thigh. A huge win for big carts and mini carts here. If you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what deep, deep cut. Wolves, God bless, cannot score. And we're taught a lesson about clinicality by Bournemouth, who found the back of the net with their only shot on target or game. A massive cherry weekend. First away points in over four long months. First away clean sheet of the season. Michael B. Jordan's boys have a pulse. And finally, Roger. Oh, look at you. You're so happy. Everton Never won. thought I'd live to Leeds see another Everton nil. win, honestly. The result of the weekend in the Men in Blazers universe, even a universe teeming with invisible asteroids, Roger. A massive relegation six-pointer in which you, Roger, faced up to your American brethren, of course. Roger, you were sitting on the couch. The American Yorkshire diaspora of Adams, McKenney and Harrison were actually playing in the game. But a Seamus Coleman goal... The legs of Killebegs sees Everton down Leeds <laughs> and emerge their heads from the relegation zone, much like Ewan McGregor emerged from that toilet in train spotting. <laughs> the worst toilet in Scotland. Oh my God. The sad derby. That is what this was. Just two old yellers playing each other. Loser should have been relegated, honestly, immediately. They or, may be. <laughs> or taken down to the river in a bag. Either or. I mean, immediately it should have happened after the final whistle. But I've got to say, my confidence could not have been lower going into this game. It will not surprise you. I think just staring at all these invisible asteroids uh, for, for four days before the game will do that to a person. I was on my nerves ends. 
Everton can't score. We know this. DCL injured again. Devo starting mm. to think he's sick. Mm. Sick of football. Yeah. And without, <laughs> without him, everything just felt dark. I went to bed Friday night and honestly, I, I could not sleep just thinking over and over again of Willie Neonto tearing at Seamus Coleman. It just felt so dark and, and it felt all the worse, as you said in your introduction, that the team I love were playing human beings that I adore. Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, the American Bash brothers, Brendan Aronson on the bench. And the prospect of one of them doing Everton in, Dave, it was like Meryl Streep in Sophie's Choice thought so it was hard. This yeah. was unbearable. Difficult for you. And it was, it was, the game was an agony in many ways. It was, it was physical. Uh, it was a real bottom of the table scrap. Both teams, both managers, you sense feeling how important the result would be. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a horrible game. I mean, horrible from a footballing perspective. Um, Adams and Onana just Godzilla-ing, Mecca Godzilla-ing in the midfield. As everybody else on both teams just seemed to be like, oh, I'm crap at football. Why am I even going to try? Leeds sat back. They're content to, to leave the ball at the feet of Dwight McNeil. It's <laughs> kind of like watching Ben Simmons from three-point range. Rarely have I seen a winger not named Adama Traore so unable to unfold a basic cross. He really is. Dwight McNeil is really the George Santos of, of footballers. Single worst performer I've ever seen wear an Everton jersey. Who's wow. your Chelsea equivalent, Davo? Is he like Mudrick without the butterfly neck tattoo game? Well, oh, I wonder who is the worst player. But I mean, I used to enjoy Jesper Gronkaya couldn't, he couldn't cross. He was a winger. Remember Jesper Gronkaya? He couldn't. Good looking guy. Yeah, but he couldn't cross at all. Um, he did occasionally put crosses into the back of the net, uh, which we'll get to later. But he's a, uh, but yeah, was not much of a crosser of the ball. Yeah, Chelsea have had some pretty poor players. I mean, Saul, our recent player, Saul, he was pretty awful on the few occasions I saw him. Dwight McNeil is so awful. I was just seething at Dwight McNeil. And then I got, I've made mine, Everton's point, made mine, Scott texted me out the blue. Just, we weren't conversing. This it just came from me. He said, this is his literal text. He said, amazes me we paid actual real money for McNeil. He is proof Everton should be permanently banned from spending. He said the January transfer window, when we did not bring a single player in, will actually end up being the only window we didn't get worse. And that, <laughs> that's why I felt like watching in despair. I was watching, not so much of these men are paid to do this, whatever do means here. It's just, I just suddenly was just overwhelmed by a sense of, oh my God, we are going to struggle in the championship next season. That's how I felt watching this. And there was the Tyler Adams, Dwight McNeil fight. I honestly, mm. honestly wanted both men to be sent off because it would have been a double win for Everton. Yeah. But anyway, can we just say Tyler and Weston, uh, they seem to just be in the, in the, in the Premier League just for the barb ruling. You know, Paul, Paul Carr texted Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney are the first pair of US internationals to each get a yellow card in the same Premier League game since Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney 10 days ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to go 10 years back to 2012, Brad Guzan and Eric Lehigh uh, for the one that came before them. Tyler is definitely a boss. Tyler's definitely a dog. There's a dog in him, as you like to say here in the United States. But there's some yellow cards that are a bit mad. This was one of them. You know, 
It's like almost like watching them. They've got their mentality perma turned on on don't back down mode. And I, I do worry that craftier teams will work out how to wind Tyler up, get him two yellow cards and take advantage. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's the fighting for respect thing. Um, you know, and we've talked before, there are some struggles being an American player in the in the Premier League. You know, we saw this is sort of Dempsey-like. I think the Men in Blazers made a social post that was to that uh, to that end. Um it is, you know, it's fighting for respect, standing up for himself, showing that, you know, he's not a, a, a guy of incredible stature uh, in terms of pure height. He wants to be, make sure people know he's there. So, yeah, but I agree. This is the kind of stuff that you get um, that other teams start to figure out. There was a moment earlier um, in the, the weekend, that uh, moment when, you know, Arteta started trying to wind up the official with the ball rolling thing. That, and I was yeah. like, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Even Zinchenko was like, F you to the Aston Villa players. You just sometimes don't want to, you don't want to show that kind of frustration and that level of stuff. Your fans love it, but it's not necessarily good from a competitive point of view. I mean, especially Tyler Adams, a phenomenal footballer. I do worry. I worry what opponents are going to be seeing in their game film. Second half, dire. I mean, neither team could connect to pass dire. And... Part of the joy of the game when you're watching 100% turd, sometimes even there, a moment of human truth can unfurl itself. And so it came to pass. Still not quite sure what I saw. First of all, Seamus Coleman was chasing down a pass that was so overhit. It, it was like almost out of bounds before he even started running. Somehow he corralled it. There was still no real danger. Just to be clear, this is Everton Football Club. Did we have a man in the middle? Of course we didn't, did we, Hell, We don't do that. And what happened next, Dave? You know, you know when a footballer pulls back his foot to shoot from a dangerous place and you do, you feel instinctively, you hold your breath, what is going to happen next? But this was so not a dangerous place. You expected almost nothing. There, there was no, ooh, what's going to, it was just like, what, it was like, uh, it's just so low affect a low moment of nothingness but what followed it's almost like a, i still don't know was it a glitch david was it a synapse in space or a hole in time because apart from when the kansas city chiefs do misdirection at the line uh, and you can't work out if mahomes has the ball or a running back has it it's all so confusing i'm just, my brain still synapses at what we witnessed when i watched it in uh in real time I assumed it was a cross. When I watched it again in replay, I assumed again that it was a cross. And maybe the second time I watched it in replay. However, the third time I watched it, when I noticed that it's not like, oh, the player was running into the box. There was no one, no one, no one to no cross one. to. No one had made Dominic, any effort. Dominic Calvert-Lewin was still the nearest Everton player to Seamus, and he wasn't even <laughs> in the stadium. Yeah. It was so far away. I started realizing, surely a player of Seamus Coleman's, you know, knowledge and experience knew that. And so therefore, ergo, it must have been a shot. In which case, one has to call into question Melier's position because he must also know that there is no player running into the box to go and cross it. So why is he standing so far out? It just was extraordinary. Poor Melier, who has bailed leads out on so many occasions this season, but he does always have a mistake in him. That's what that was. But Seamus, just arc, was it fade, slice, whatever it was, just... I mean, I don't like to be hyperbolic, you know me, but this was the greatest goal 
football has ever seen. That's what it looked like on the face of Seamus's teammates. Decore just looked at him, just like a child, like, oh my God, I got a complete confusion, probably because we're wearing Everton shirts. We don't do that kind of thing. And that 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 is the joy of football, just in the as darkness seems to be utterly descending upon your soul, a crevice of light will shine. And again, religious, religious moment for me. Second religious moment this weekend. Leeds, got to say, that was it for them. They bled out one of the worst performances of the season in the campaign full of them. Players just rolled over, no fight, no care almost. And I know that feeling as an Everton fan. That is dark. That's what we felt against Southampton. Um, and the moral of the story is that we are crap. Leeds are crapper. I think they had zero shots on goal in this one. The interim manager, Scubala, lost. The fans, mutinous. San Francisco 49ers poised to take over. But I think they're kind of like, on why would we pay a Premier League team price when we can wait and buy for a championship uh, cheaper? But my God, Leeds lost at Goodison last season. That was the end of Bielsa almost this season. It's really... I mean, by the way, this is a team that Graham Potter could mould, honestly. Uh, this this young squad and, and seeing Everton fans empathise with the Leeds fans as they chanted sack the board at the end, it, it is God, it is it it is a deep worry what is happening, the situation those American players find them in their cells in there, David. And, you know, American uh fans, new American fans of the club, uh also. Stay the course. But for Everton, honestly, I felt on this day what I imagine Argentinian fans felt when the teams had won the World Cup. <laughs> a clean sheet. Yes, be the flailing leads at home 1-0. That's what it does yeah. to you. Clean sheet, two home wins on the trot. Just to be clear, there is going to be so much more darkness for us to come in the season ahead. But on this day, 1-0 over the leads. One of the greatest days of my life. The FOP <laughs> at Jokers in the Deck tweeted us, no club thunders up to 16th place quite like Everton. Up the toffees. God bless you. And I'll tell you this, we will see fire. We will see rain. We'll see a lot of rain before this season is over. But if Ginger Pep can miracle another 1-0 win against Villa next weekend, I will be starting a GoFundMe to smelt a statue of that bastard. Wonderful, Rog. Okay, I'm very happy for you. Before we go, a quick reminder about everything we've got happening at Men in Blazers this week. A new European Knights drops tomorrow ahead of this week's Champions League action. And talking of said Champions League action, you're going to be doing a special Tuesday amp. Come on, Mr. Curly. Can we get a twist? Rogelio. Oh, I want to, let me just pour one. Hold on one second. Just talk amongst yourselves, Davo, as I uh, as I Jägermeister myself up. Oh, oh you love Jägermeistering yourself up. shot glass. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I like to dab a little bit of Jägermeister behind both ears before I go out the pub. I want to raise this shot of Jägermeister, this ball of human emotion in a glass to the United States women who won their second game on the trot at She Believes, the mm. worst named football tournament not named Carabao. They beat a shattered Canadian team 2-0 in their opener. Yep. Canadians' hearts and minds clearly uh, on battling their own insipid football federation. 
What a hot mess. Last night, a rotated US 11 scraped past a deeply impressive Japan 1-0. US midfield honestly couldn't live with the Japanese pressing game for long stretches. Their ability to pass and move. If you're the Spanish or, or English coach, you would have been salivating as you took tactical notes on this one. But the US escaped with the win thanks to Pew Pew Pew. Oh, Mal Swanson, who scored on the on the break on the stroke of half time, he's now got six goals in the last four games. Fifty percent of the United States goals in 2023, career high. Uh, I think it's just one more for an entire season for the US for her sweltering form. United States go again Wednesday night against Brazil. They remain Brazil. very much a work in progress with the Women's World Cup 150 days away. Yeah, sweltering form and sweltering speed. A wonderful goal. Okay, you can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at MC Davis, at Rosh Bennett on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at MC Davis on Facebook with the Men in Blazers, on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Men in Blazers. We're on YouTube. You can see a video version uh, of our podcast, including this podcast, which we're going to release in full, Rog, with invisible asteroid content. That is right from the opening to the close. Check it out on our YouTube right now. Also, our TikTok, where we just put a quite incredible tackle from the Sunderland versus Bristol City over the weekend where Sunderland ledge Luke O'Nane literally gets a piggyback ride from an opposition player. Just go look at it on our TikTok. Be sure to head to Men in Blazers and see our content there. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk Roger. War pig. Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweet. Abrogado rock on, mate. Kung Fu fighting America. Love you, Dave. I love you, Roger. I love you, Seamus Coleman. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.